Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this episode is Chris Sanjores. I first met Chris in 2017 while attending a smart class from Rational Acoustics. For those not familiar, Chris is a smart ninja. He makes sense out of masses of squiggly lines and bunches of audio traces and converts that information into smooth, accurate sound. He's been with Rational Acoustics for eight years, and when he's not traveling the globe, he makes his home in eastern Connecticut. Chris has mixed countless live sound events and is system engineered for some of your favorite Netflix and Comedy Central live performances. His abundant knowledge of system engineering principles and approaches is second to none, and I'm grateful that he readily shares this information with people like us. We did have a couple of technical glitches while recording this episode, including an odd Dante experience where Ken Pooch Van Druten's voice magically made its way into the episode. That definitely threw us for a loop, so there will be a few edits and cuts in this episode. Despite those glitches, Chris's information is invaluable, so please be sure to listen to the entire episode. I hope you'll appreciate it as much as I do. So without further ado, I present to you this episode with Chris Sanjores. Hey, Chris. Uh, welcome to the Mix Masters podcast. I'm super thrilled to have you on with us today. Oh, thanks, man. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, I met Chris through Rational Acoustics some years ago. I took a class in, I think, Nashville, Tennessee. And was it Nashville? I th- didn't you take two classes? I did. It was so yeah. good. Or that I'm I'm such a slow learner. I had to take. <laughs> yeah. So I met you in Nashville, uh, and then we uh, stayed friends online. And then I saw you in Milwaukee, right. uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so. So, what have you been up to uh, with the with the COVID uh, epidemic that's going on? Well, it's uh, it's, you know, it's been interesting <laughs> but um my workload certainly hasn't you know slowed down or anything you know i'm product manager for rational acoustics you know and and so a uh, lot of lot of development time is being you know spent on my home computer doing interface design and stuff and you know trying to come help come up with the uh the next you know latest and greatest for the smart platform um i wish i could tell you about what i've been working on but unfortunately those are things that it uh we need to keep close to the chest. <laughs> sure. I was going to ask you if you could uh, yeah. share anything, but I totally understand. I mean, you know, it's just one of those, it's, uh, you know, eventually we have to, you know, release a new version. Um, uh, version 8's been out since 2016. It's 2020. Um, you know, things start to get a little long in the tooth if you wait too long, um, you know, with, with operating system changes and all that stuff. And, um, you know, so... You know, it's all, you know, better, faster, you know, better, faster, more usable. It's always those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about Smart uh, a little bit more into the podcast, but I want to back up a little bit to sure. your um, 
history and what got you interested in music? When did you get interested in music? Uh, where were you drawn towards in the musical world? Well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I consider myself a musician anyway. Uh, and so that being said, I realized around age, you know, 15 or so that I wasn't going to be a uh, professional guitar player. Um, but I wasn't going to stop playing either, you know, so I, I decided that I wanted to be in the music industry somehow, you know, and so uh, um, I was always really into you know, AV, um, you know, into the home, you know, I was always taking apart my speakers at home to the chagrin of my father, I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and just, I was really into wiring stuff and just doing all the, all the geeky, you know, home audio things I could get my hands on. Cause that's the only thing I had available to me. And, um, and so I just kind of was like, you know, maybe I should try the, you know, music production thing, you know, and, um, cause I never really got exposed to it in, in, in any hands-on way in high school because I was always, uh, on the talent side, you know? So, um, like for all the school plays and stuff, I was always cast, you know, I was the lead in a couple, couple years and, in, in, you know, the school plays and stuff. So, um, um, I was always like really fascinated with what was going on with the microphones and all the sound technology that had to happen for me to get mic'd up and everyone else, but I couldn't do it because I was on stage. So, uh, you know, I, I, I figured, well, that's what we'll do when I go to college. And, uh, so I ended up going to the, uh, Hart school of music, which is a conservatory that's part of the university of Hartford, uh, umbrella in Connecticut. And, uh, I got accepted to a few, a few different schools. I applied to a few different schools, but, um, I ended up there because they only accept 12 kids a year or they did at the time. And, uh, so I figured rather than, you know, going to Berkeley or something and being one of 300 or whatever, I'd go to a school where I could be one of 12 and ended up being in the graduating one of six. Um, wow. so, uh, and so, you know, and being Hartford, I also liked that it was a sort of a central location between New York city and Boston and, um, you know, the, the opportunity to get some, you know, gigging experience, uh, without being so far from home because I, you know, I, I had a, a girlfriend and whatever and all that. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it ended up being a really good decision for me cause I got to study classical guitar while I was there and they have a really, uh, regard, highly regarded classical guitar program. So that enforced a good deal of discipline, uh, that carried over to my, um, work in audio as well. Did you focus primarily on guitar at the university there or were you looking into recording and, uh, sound as well? Or what was the program like? Well, because it's a conservatory, it's a requirement that you play an instrument. Um, you know, so that school happens to have like three different versions of a production track. Um, but the music production technology is the one that's, you know, all about recording studio in heart. Um, then they have uh, more of a acoustical track um, for, and then they have a uh, uh, like a live technology track where you don't necessarily have to play an instrument, but you don't get access to the recording studios and the facilities in heart. It's in a different building, whole different faculty. Um, you know, so uh, uh, for me, you know, again as a musician it was really important that I go somewhere where I can play as well. And so, um, and being that the conservatory takes the musicianship so seriously, if it, I mean, to the point where if you slack off on your playing, you, you get kicked out. I mean, it's, you know, 
I don't know what the, the cutoff was, but because uh, I I didn't reach it obviously, <laughs> but um, uh, you know if you if you didn't keep up with your playing and your instrumental professor, you know, it, it could become a problem and and you would have to leave the program be, not because you weren't good at the production stuff, but because you weren't keeping up with your playing. Wow, that's pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was neat. I've, I've, but you know, I'm not a classical guitar player. I should say that I'm an electric guitar player. I'm a rock. I'm into rock, you know? <laughs> so, um, so it was really challenging because with classical guitar, you have to maintain fingernails to play. So your, your, uh, your non fretting hand. So my right hand, um, your thumb, you know, your, basically everything, but your pinky has to be pretty well taken care of nails, which became extremely problematic when I started doing production work outside of college and uh you know moving around road cases and stuff and and uh you know if you it was during that time of my life my right hand very frequently was um just a hodgepodge of uh cut up ping pong balls that i would crazy glue with the brush the brush applicator version of crazy glue i'd brush on uh super glue to my fingernail and then put a piece of a ping pong ball on top of that because it has the curvature and then I would file that into the correct nail shape because I could never, never keep my nails all together. Wow. I, that's <laughs> the first time I've ever heard of that. So that's, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I first started school there, I, I got, you know, it was like all the classical guitar guys are, you know, you, you can tell who they are cause they're, they're the ones at the cafeteria filing their nails and polishing their fingers and stuff. And, you know, it's like, you, you know, it becomes a sort of an in, uh, you know, in sign, you know, and you see a guy with uh, really nice fingernails on their right hand. It's like, even now when I see a guy with really nice fingernails on his right hand and that's it, I go, oh, so, you know, what kind of classical guitar do you play? You know, and, and it's always, it's it's never, it's never wrong. It's wow. always like, you know, it's like, oh, you spotted me, you know, it's because it's a... It's a thing. <laughs> well, thanks. Now you're going to, uh, you just introduced me to another OCD thing that I'll uh, implement <laughs> in my personal life. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> it's all good. All right. So you're, you're going to school, you're studying music. Um, where do you, where do you go from there? So you're, you're out of school. I imagine you're in your early twenties and uh, hmm. where does life take you? Yeah. So uh, I was working for a, a local production company and, um, as well as working for Rational Acoustics. Uh, so I started with Rational because they started in my hometown. So they opened up in 2008 in Putnam, Connecticut, which is where I grew up. Uh, that's where I live now. And um, so I basically knocked on the door. Uh, there's, a, there's a Christmas party in the apartment above our old office. We've since moved to Woodstock, Connecticut. Um, but uh, they were like, oh, you should go downstairs and meet the Rational Acoustics people. You know, they do what you do, which is basically blanket statement there. They do sound, you know. And uh, so I, I went down there and met met the Rational Gang. They were, it was At the time, it was the, the four original principals um, of the company, which have since shifted a bit. But, um, uh, yeah, we just, we just talked. And they, they couldn't believe that there was a kid my age at the time, so, you know, 20 or whatever, 21, uh, I don't know if I was 21 or not, but they couldn't believe that there's a, a kid in their town that was going to school for audio and really interested in live sound specifically. Cause that was my, my specific sort of interest. Um, and, uh, so we, we kept in contact and then, uh, so that was right before I graduated. Then I graduated and, and they said, well, come, you know, come, 
come intern with us. You know, we'll give you a paid internship. We don't really have a position right now for you, but, um, you know, hang out, you know, come, we don't want to, we don't want, we don't want you to go away cause you live here and why not? You know? So, um, so I did about, I don't know, it's like a summer's worth of, of intern interning while also, um, doing shows for a local production company. And, um, and it was through that production company that I ended up, uh, mixing a band called it prevails. And, um, and, and then after that show, um, cause I was a, I was a fan of that band. So I was really enjoying mixing them. Um, so after the show I was talking to the guys and, and as it turned out, they needed a new guitar player. And so, uh, they were going to Europe for a month for a tour and then they were going to come home and didn't know what they were going to do. They were down a guitar player. And so I said, Oh, it's good timing. Um, I don't have a full-time job right now. I'm interning with a company that's flexible. And so when you get home from Europe, I'll join the band and I'll be your new guitar player. And they're like, what, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so I, you know, it worked, everything worked out and I, uh, you know, ended up being a good fit for them and there, it was a good fit for me. And, um, went on, went and did the, the tour life, uh, van and trailer, you know, with a sort of mid-level hardcore band, uh, for, uh, about a year and a half. And then Jamie Anderson, uh, one of the owners of Rational called me in about, in like the late summer, fall of 2000, I think we're at 2010 or no, this would be 2011. And, uh, and said that they think they have a project for me, um, specifically. And they'd like, like me to come back and interview for, for this officially. And they made me an official job offer. And so that was, uh, that was the Personas Studio Live Smart Integration project. Wow. And so it's, since I knew, I knew mixing consoles, so mixer, you know, um, it's actually funny, uh, when I was touring with the prevails, I would mix bands that we were on tour with, you know, so I'd, I would like go, go up to the front house guy, at the venue and say, hey, you know, mixing so-and-so band that were, that's part of the tour package. And, by the way, I also played lead guitar for the headlining band, <laughs> you know, or wherever we were in the lineup at the, at, for whatever tour, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was funny. Uh, it was also great cause I had the pro tools skills, um, from college and my internship down in Nashville, uh, that I got to, uh, uh, help out a lot when we recorded, uh, our albums or at, well, one specifically, uh, I was down, uh, we were at, we were at our, our record label studio, uh, our old label anyway in, in North Hollywood and uh you know there there's you know multiple things going on so I would do like pre-production scratch tracks and tempo mapping for other bands that were on the label that were you know had sessions after ours and so uh you know the they would toss me some some you know spare cash for me to you know because I had my laptop I had my inbox yeah you know so I would uh I would take a take a room in the studio and you know sit down with another guitar player from a different band and you know map out their their songs Oh, that's cool. So, um, anyway, yeah, I ended up, uh, the whole thing with personas that, that all went really well. And then, uh, they had me as like basically a contractual employee there. I don't think I had been officially offered a job. It was more like here, do this project and we'll see how it goes. And so after that project went, uh, they officially offered me a, a real big boy salary job. Wow. And that's, so I've been there almost 10 years now. Oh, congrats. I think yeah, of, uh, I think everybody knows, you know, Rational Acoustics pretty well, but uh, for my money, you're sort of the face of Rational Acoustics because I've done a lot of classes with you. I yeah. follow you on Facebook and uh, 
so when I think of rational, I think of Chris always right off the bat. So yeah, I think I think Jamie and I are the are the two main sort of faces of the company yeah. because we do so many live trainings with people, or, or we did before COVID. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know, we'll see what how things shake out you know in the coming months and years but yeah um yeah you know we you know we do the trade shows and you know a lot of people know us yeah it's yeah. really cool i missed you at nam this year i i saw jamie mm. um and i i swung by a couple of times but you were always off doing something else i think you were teaching classes or doing uh discussions so I'm... yeah nam has become uh you know a pretty big show for us and and jamie and i are, are have been involved with the aes uh academy track that they do at nam i think they call it nam u nam yeah. university or something there's like a bunch of words that they throw together and i'm and i feel like it changes every year so i'm never really sure what to call it but uh um yeah we try to pick out some special topics and do presentations but that also means that we're not on the show floor so uh we're sort of hard to track down at that at that show unless you go to the talks <laughs> yep yeah uh, okay, so you're you're working with It Prevails. Um, you're playing guitar, and then eventually, somehow, you get behind the console, and you also are doing system engineering. How does that transition take place? Yeah, so it, the It Prevails thing essentially a pause on my live career because um, I, I, like I said, I met them mixing a show, so I was doing, I was doing basically regional production, you know, fairs, you know, regional fairs and festivals, and. Uh, one-offs and stuff like that, and uh, um, you know the kind of thing where you you load the truck the day before, maybe load in the the day before, but generally, you know, it's it's in and out in one day, yeah. and um, and so, um, you know that that company there is called Event Production Group, uh, a really nice guy named Sandy and Patrice owns the company, and he's been a re- he was a really crucial figure for me um, because I met him my freshman year of college. And so I'd been doing all that stuff all through four years of college. And then, uh, and I continue to do gigs for him now, even still, you know, so I've known him for, uh, almost 15 years at this point. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, he, you know, he's the one that taught me how to use mixing consoles. He's the one that taught me how compressors work, how noise gates work, how, how to, you know, put verb on stuff, how to route stuff, you know, like, um, I started with, in, you know, this is about 2006 when I started with him. You know, if you think of digital consoles, I mean, the 5D Yamaha was released in 2005, I believe. Um, you know, so n- n- there's no one at my at the level that I was playing at that had any digital gear. You know, so the first console I really got to know was the Allen and Heath. Uh, I believe it's Allen and Heath, the GL 2400. You know, that console's, you know, so an analog rig based off of that and then um, and then uh, moved up to larger frame. Uh, they Sandy happened to own a, a console brand called Soundtracks, um, which is now owned by Digico. So it's kind of like early Digico stuff. Um, but it was all analog, um, big, large frame consoles. Actually, if you know Ryan John um, from Avid, you know he's the he's the he's the live sound guy avid the console guy um really great dude but uh so event production group was doing the spring fling you know april concert at the university of hartford uh the band was envy on the coast who ryan mixes and so that's when i met ryan oh john <laughs> and so my i don't know sophomore junior year of college he uh he got they came in and he got thrown onto one of the big old frame, you know, a long or large frame uh, soundtracks consoles. 
and I was actually just uh, talking to him a few weeks ago. I was like, hey, I just realized how I met you because I saw somewhere that he had he was talking about mixing Envy on the Coast. And I was like, holy, what what a weird world we live in. I was like, I met you in college. You guys were running like four hours late and you got you pulled into the the show, ran on stage, you know, and basically just went, you know, because their trailer had their trailer tongue had broken in New York City or something. And he was like, dude, I remember everything about that. He's like, it was funny. Um <laughs> Yeah. So uh you know, anyway, um so the It Prevails thing was just like I said, it's just a pause on sure. my my like live career and uh and once once that was over and I was back at Rational, it was like, you know, call Sandy. Hey, I'm back, you know, uh start throwing me on shows again and I'm available. So uh, my first couple of years at Rational, you know, as a single guy, uh I remember those summers being very busy. Um in fact, uh it was up until about two thousand uh geez, when did I meet my wife? Um Hey babe. <laughs> what year did we meet? Oh, you're going to get in trouble. Was it 2013? Yeah, 2013. So basically 2011, 12, and then 13. Um, once April came around, uh, April through up until about October, I would have, I would be lucky if I had a day off. Wow. You know, because I was going, uh, working five days a week at Rational, and then all my weekends I was doing shows. So, you know, I met my wife in uh, May of 2013. And had that same sort of schedule where every weekend I was working and had very few days off. And the next year she was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> let's, let's not do that. I want to see you in the summer, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I've had to over the years, uh, <laughs> she says, sorry, not sorry. So over the years I've, I've become a, a lot more picky over what shows I will do. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, so it, it's sort of honed down to the, the, you know, dozen or so shows that are, are, you know, annual, um, sure. I can plan for them. I can put them in my schedule, uh, months or years in advance. And, um, and, uh, you know, so I'm not, I'm not so much as the on-call guy cause I, I just don't have the time. I mean, I have a lot uh, of responsibility with rational. I have a lot of responsibility with my family. <laughs> you yeah. know, we have a, we have an infant. So, yeah. Um, oh, congratulations, by the way. I've thanks. seen the pictures online and, uh, looks like everything's going well. Yeah, he's he's terrific. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Um, so, when you were working with uh, the production company, were you naturally doing a little bit more system engineering? Were you doing more mixing, a combination of both? It was both. It was always both. Um, you know, so it was a sort of thing where, uh, for about half of the shows, the headlining band would have an engineer, that kind of thing. But like, there's a couple openers. I'd have to mix those guys, and then I'd also I'd be responsible for making sure the system doesn't blow up, you know. So I'd be, I'd be the one setting up the PA, or or at least uh, managing a crew that it would be setting up the PA. Um, and they they have two primary systems. The, the ground stack system would be a EAW based system, the 850s, and then their uh, their fly system would be a line array system based on the JBL platform, the Veritech platform. So. Um, so those are the two PAs that I really cut my teeth on, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I love working with 850s still just, there's such an easy box to work with for me. Cause I, that's what I started with, you know, I really know, know them well. Um, and, uh, 
you know, so I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't into the measurement stuff until again, I started at rational, but I had been doing PA stuff for about the four or five years leading up to starting at rational. So, uh, what was really great about getting to rational was at that point, I'd really solidified my knowledge of system, you know, uh, electricity, signal flow, um, you know, how all the components of a system go together. And so, you know, just a really solid tech, uh, foundation, you know, troubleshooting foundation. And that was something that Sandy had really, uh, pushed with me when we would do shows, you know, if something would go wrong, I'd be like, Hey Sandy, um, you know, this, the, whatever, you know, the macro techs on stage, right. Uh, one of them's not working. What do I do? And he goes, I don't know, go figure it out. You know, <laughs> here's, a, you know where the screwdrivers are, you know, you know, like get under there, go figure it out, you know? And so, um, you know, that and, and at that time in my life, you know, when I was like 18, you know, whatever, when I first started doing that, there wasn't a much better activity for me in terms of what I enjoyed doing than just going to the shop and putting a rack together and wiring a rack together for free. You know, I would just, I would, I loved shop time because I got to get my hands on equipment, you know, play and, um, and test stuff and put things together. You know, I think that's something that all of us guys have in common that are into this stuff is we'd love just testing and playing and using the technology and figuring out how stuff works, you know? And so, uh, um, once I started, you know, getting, uh, once I started with rational full time, you know, it became apparent quickly to Jamie that I would be a good candidate to teach smart at some point because of my personality and, uh, my ease in front of people again, going back to high school, I'm a performer, right? So yeah. in the band, you know, the stuff, the stage stuff with the prevails, like I'm a performer. So, uh, um, it takes, it takes that sort of personality to be an infe- effective or effective, e- effective, you know, the one effective, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, instructor, you know, so you have to, you know, like for teaching smart, I mean, you're, you've got to manage a room of people for three days, you know, keep their attention and make it interesting. Um, and it's no small feat for someone that isn't, uh, isn't comfortable in front of people like that. So, um, yeah. So anyway, being that I, you know, became so involved with the rational acoustic smart stuff that, that, and then having the foundation and system teching, just, you know, the fundamental stuff, um, once the, once the marriage of those two things happened, it became really apparent that this is awesome. You know, so, um, you know, cause like once I, once, you know, there was a switch that flipped with those shows that I was doing, you know, there's a, there's the show where I measured the system for the first time, you know, and tuned the system with an analyzer for the first time. And the guy, Sandy, really skeptical of what I was doing, you know, old dog. And, um, and he's like, Oh, turn, you know, turn up, turn off what you did, you know, bypass the EQ that you put on whatever. And, and I, you know, do that. And he's just like, Oh, geez. You know, he's like, put it back on, never turn it off. And, you know, basically expletive you because now I need you on every, every show that matters because if you can make the system sound like this, I'm, you know, I, I can't do it without you. I don't know how this stuff works. I don't know how that technology works, you know? <laughs> so, um, so it's been, you know, and then that, that's also led to some other shows, not with him, but you know, I, I, if you go to my IMDB page, I'm, I've got a bunch of credits for comedy shows. Um, so, uh, I ended up in this, in, uh, as a call guy for uh, an engineer named John Duva, 
who um, does a lot of recording, surround recording, and mix, re- you know, mixes for for live comedy shoots and other things. And so he's a uh, he's New York City based, but uh, does a lot of work with uh, LA based production companies. And so if they do a shoot out here, like in Boston. It's um it's much more cost effective for them to hire a local engineer than to fly a guy out from you know Los Angeles for example and put him in a in a room in a hotel and whatever so um so he he would start recommending me because I you know he because he knows that I can both mix the show and I can make sure the system is working correctly and sounds really good because you're recording the room for those events you know so if uh if the room doesn't sound good the fin- the final product the show that goes on Netflix also doesn't sound good and so um. You know, I, I ended up doing I've ended up doing quite a few uh, of those comedy shows as a result and they're they're really fun and really challenging <laughs> it's um it's amazing uh, you know for a show with a band you know it's like whatever you know it's, you get a bunch of channels and and um, and if you know if, if one of the if during sound check you know one of those channels isn't quite there you kind of know well I'm gonna work that out in the first song or whatever and we we need to move on for time but uh, with a comedy show, the way those things work is there's there's usually one performer except the only time I had more than one was uh, the impractical jokers shoot I did because there's a bunch of guys, but uh, you know for for the comedy stuff there's one microphone and then there's two performances so they shoot they shoot the show twice um, so make sure they have uh, an A and a B you know the two takes of all the jokes and then you know depending on where the laughter is and stuff they can so basically those those shows you watch on TV are a combination of two performances. Oh, wow. Um, and so, uh, that being said, if you mess up something, you know, sound wise, then one of then whatever take you messed up, that portion of that take is no longer usable. And if you mess up twice, then they don't have footage for, you know, so it's, it's, and the the show has to sound as natural as possible, you know. So, um, uh, you know, which with one microphone, again, you you have to really make that that single microphone sound like someone's having a conversation with you. You know, there's you you can't notice that you're in a room, like you know, you know what I mean. Like it has oh, yeah. to just sound really really clear and clean, yeah, and nothing sticking out. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that John, um that he showed me is, is, uh, something I do do today as well. When I do testing, you know, line checks for vocal microphones is, um, you go, you go through the syllables, uh, to the vowel sounds rather. So a E I O and U. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, go up to a microphone, go E E E E I O O, you know, that, that, those sounds, because those are the things that are gonna, you know, if they don't sound right, you know, if, if you go E and you've got a bunch of, you know, 1.25 or whatever, it's going to be really obvious for that, that, um, vowel sound. Sure. And so, uh, you know, you could be listening to something and everything they sound, they say sounds natural until they say me, you know, or some word that has that vowel. And then all of a sudden it's like, geez, what the hell, what the hell is that? You know? Yeah. Um, do you so find that was yourself, really, that was really cool. do you find yourself, um, you know, you, you tune the system and it's, it looks great. It sounds great. And then you run through that vowel test. Are you finding that you're making adjustments, um, you know, based on that, or are you, or is your tuning pretty much spot on and, and you tune to that, that. All right. Sorry for that interruption there. We had a, a little issue with Dante and uh, a couple of other things going on. So we'll pick up where we left off talking about the tuning of the system and your, your 
syllable test with using vowels. You get the system tuned, uh, the room is nice, and now you're up on stage and you're testing with your A-E-I-O-U, and <laughs> something isn't right. Where are you making that adjustment, and, and what is it doing? Uh, that, for, well, depends on the thing. If we're talking about the comedy show specifically, again, there's only one source. There's only one person talking, so um, I'll generally make the initial... Um, you know, room EQ, so to speak, you know, with that vowel test, that'll, that'll generally be done on some sort of output EQ, either like if, if you're on a, you know, profile, whatever it'd be the, it'd be in the uh, output processing uh, effects rack, you know, or, um, but it's, it's not done on the channel strip. So um, the reason is because I, I want to save, uh, I want to save a flat EQ for when the room is full. Um, and so, you know, any, any sort of changes that need to be made, um, once things are going, uh, then I have the, the channel strip EQ, which is the easiest, most available, um, on the fly EQ you can have. Right. So, um, and so the system is just set the system, you you set the table for the system and, and, uh, and with the system, you know, EQ, like the stuff that you're doing, you know, with measurement and whatever. And, um, you know, so you have the, the sort of the sound of the system measured and it's all the same everywhere and all it's aligned and everything. And then, um, and then I'll take off my system hat, put on my mixing hat and do the line check so that it sounds good. You know, I've heard you say in the past, uh, something about knowing when to stop making adjustments, uh, to the, to the system. How do you know when that is? Like, what, what are you using as a reference? And, you know, when do you know that you've gone far enough and you've sort of reached the point of diminishing returns? Yeah. Um, yeah, it goes back to my, uh, experience before I got into measurement and stuff and, and just, you know, enjoying mixing. And ultimately what it is, 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 uh, if I can walk up to a system, right. If I put myself in the shoes of a band engineer, you know, someone that's walking up to a system that I'm teching, if I can walk up to that system and, and know that I'm going to have a good day, an easy day, uh, then I'm done, you know? So, um, like you said, I mean, diminishing returns, you know, the, you can spend the next three hours or whatever listening to different tracks in the system, but, um, you're not necessarily going to get any better than where you started. And sometimes you end up getting to a point where if you bypass all the EQ decisions you made, it sounds better. <laughs> so, um, and you know, uh, uh, for me personally, when it comes to listening tracks, um, I know a lot of people just have their one or two or five or whatever tracks that they are their go-to always, no matter what, these are the songs I listen to. Um, for me, it depends on the genre that I'm doing. So, uh, um, if I'm going to do, uh, like a graduation, you know, for a college or something or a comedy event or whatever, I may not listen to music through that PA. Um, if it's not going to be used for music, uh, I have some spoken word tracks. I have, a uh, my my main man Patrick Stewart reading some poetry, um, and so uh, I'll play a track of him and uh, listen to what the PA sounds like as spoken word because that's how it's going to be used. Um, if I'm doing a jazz festival, I'm going to listen to jazz on the PA. I'm not going to put on, uh, you know, some some rock tune or you know whatever. It's going to be something that's genre appropriate for what the event is. Um, you know, so. Uh, then I have, you know, a handful of songs that are for showing off specifically, you know, hyped songs, you know, more modern productions or whatever that, um, knowing that the PA is not going to be used for that genre, but 
I want to show off the PA or whatever the, or the, to the client or, uh, you know, the owner of the company, you know, says, you know, throw on something big, you know, and I want to hear it, you know, so, uh, you got, I got those tracks too, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, basically when it's done is when I'm, when I feel confident that whoever's operating that system, uh, and think of the system as a musical instrument, you know, um, you know, let's talk about guitar, right? Um, a guitar has a setup, you know, so you set up the guitar for proper intonation and action, new strings, you know? Um, so then, you know, then you play it, um, and you want to play the guitar that's best set up, you know? So, uh, I think of it, I think of systems in that way, you know, uh, set up the system so that it can be played easily. Yeah. That's, that's really sound advice. I think a lot of people look at a PA as sort of like a tool or a, a vehicle, but looking at it as an instrument makes a lot more sense. So yeah, that's really good advice. Speaking about reference tracks, um, I did pick up, I stole the, uh, Patrick Stewart as a reference. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You cool. shared that with us in a class and then, uh, Temptation by Diana Krall. Uh, oh yeah. You know, yeah. I got that base. one from Jamie. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Patrick Stewart thing, it's, it's, uh, whenever I, I come in as a, you know, uh, freelance engineer or something with a, someone's PA and, um, and I play that and cause the events, you know, that this, this, the last time it happened was last year's graduation season. And I did a graduation ceremony and I was a, a freelance hire for a local company here that I don't usually work with. So they don't know my tracks. And, uh, and all of a sudden Patrick Stewart comes on the, uh, the system and it's a big old delayed, you know, distributed system. And he's just like, I never thought of that. You know, I never, I never cons- like, duh, you know, why, like, why have I been putting Steely Dan on, you know, like that's not going to get me anything for this. Like, you know, so, um, yeah. And that's just all an effort to say it's done, you know, so pick a genre appropriate song and you know you know what the system's going to be doing when you play that genre through it <laughs> yeah no it's that's uh i owe you a few beverages for uh turning us <laughs> on to that trick because it it has paid dividends oh great yeah um so Thanks. one of the things i wanted to talk a little bit about uh you shared this in some of your classes um sub placement so mm-hmm. I remembered a quote that you shared in one of the classes. You said uh, something to the effect of, if you place your subs left and right, you've essentially told me you don't care about sound quality. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely ruffled some feathers with that one. Um, and it's not, it's, it, the statement is more, uh, you don't care about even coverage. Okay. So, um, you know, with the left-right configuration, you've got those power alleys, um, and so alternating areas of summation and, and destructive interference and cancellation. So, um, if if you've placed your system, if generally for me, a left-right subwoofer configuration is a conceit. It's a um, it's it's a it's a I have to do this um, because of these reasons. Um, you know, it's a ground stack PA, and we need the subs to get the tops higher. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, there's a VIP, uh, section in front of the stage and the subs can't be centered placed, you know, of course the best place to place your subwoofers is in the middle of the stage, right? Um, if you want even coverage, but we have to put those damn musicians there. Um, so, uh, those pesky uh, guys. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. If, if, if I have to use a left, right subwoofer configuration, you just have to have the, you know, the, the mental fortitude and assertiveness to, you know, know that we're not going to have even coverage and, 
And if that's what you want, if, if, if this is what you want, then that's what you get. Um, if we wanted even subwoofer coverage, we wouldn't place the subs on the left and right. We'd place them in a way that we can have even coverage. Um, but you know, placing a pile of subs in the center of the stage creates its own problems. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, it's, <laughs> it's always a, uh, what's Oscar Mora. I love that. He says, uh, you know, system alignment is, you know, you make the best worst decision possible, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's funny with subwoofers cause it's like the one thing that we can really, uh, manipulate, you know, in a way that we can't necessarily manipulate the, the, the main speakers. Um, you know, they're going to be, if you're using any sort of modern PA, the settings for the main speakers are are factory set. There may be in the speaker if it's self-powered or on an amplifier that you know, you're not going to go in and and change the crossover that D and B put on their speakers or whatever. You know you're going to use what they have in their amplifier. Um, and you know the rigging is is specific for coverage and it's all calculated out. And you know you're not just guessing that kind of stuff. But with subwoofers, you know you you really can make some decisions there and. Uh, um, in that, in that sense, a lot of shows that I've done, especially shows that I've done year after year after year, each year has a different subwoofer configuration because I want to try something new and, and, uh, see if we can get better, you know, better yeah. coverage or whatever. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, subwoofers are a lot of fun. <laughs> You've done some, uh, neat tricks with, uh, with your classes, you know, with, the coupling and, uh, cardioid and cancellation. And so if, if yeah. people aren't playing around with that, um, really take some time, go out, look at some of the rational acoustics, uh, training that's out there and, and just play around. And one of the things I really appreciate you sharing with classes is, you know, you don't need a full stack PA to play around with, with smart. You can do it with two computer speakers. Um, you know, so you don't have to wait until we're out gigging again. And I think in fact, you really discourage people doing yeah, that. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> I've, I've made some mistakes. Um, I always, uh, I like to tell a story where um, I took my first smart class, and uh, so now I'm an expert in cardioid subwoofers because I've taken a smart class, but I'd never done it in the field. And uh, so the first gig I did after that class, I set up cardioid subwoofers, and I got the delay. Uh, the I think I inverted the wrong you know thing, or you know I delayed the I either delayed the wrong speakers or inverted the wrong whatever I did, but I didn't do it correctly. You know, so it was some combination of of wrong <laughs> that resulted in not as much energy coming, you know, going where it should. And so, uh, the headlining band for that show was a band called filter. Um, I think they, you know, they've got a couple nice shot. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, their front house engineer for that, that band kept on pushing the sub level, pushing the sub level. And I'm, and I'm, you know, pulling my collar cause I'm looking at my levels going to the system and it's getting hot and, and then, uh, then, you know, then I'd get some level back and it, and the reason why I got level is cause he blew up some subs. And so the, you know, the destructive interference was reduced, but I had less subs and, and uh, towards about the middle of the show, we ended up having to dump the side fill subs because we had lost so many of the main subs. Um, so they had to go onto the ground and become main subs. And I felt really bad that company had to end up reconing like six or eight drivers. Um, you know, cause I, I ripped through, you know, a few of their double 18 subs, um, and I never made that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. people listening uh, learn from Chris's experience there. And uh, <laughs> don't try to do this on your your first big show. Play around with it ahead of time. Yeah. So, uh, um, 
and you know and that being said too uh uh if you really if you want to do cardio subs if you want to do that stuff like it's you know there are benefits you get from it um but as soon as you start playing with destructive interference for um you know cancel if you, as soon as you you know you want that cancellation in the back um of the coverage area um you're using more subs for actually less output in the front and so uh <laughs> if if um if I had my choice, I wouldn't actually do cardioid subwoofers. It's it's always a decision, you know. Like, are is 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 canceling out energy going back gonna clean up the sound coming in the front because we're in a big old, you know, room where I I want to you know minimize that energy arrival. That's you know a cycle out of out of time with the front energy arrival at like forty hertz or whatever. Um, you know, if, uh, what, you know, or whatever we're doing, whatever the situation is, but it's always situational. Um, so I never approach uh, subwoofer placement as a standard operating procedure. It's always what's going to work best for this situation. Sure. Can you talk real briefly about making adjustments on the fly? So I think you also shared an experience with a band where that's that VIP situation had happened. You mm. spent the day setting the subs, you know, center of the stage. It sounded awesome. And then the promoter comes up to you and says, sounds great, but bad news. We're going to be putting a whole bunch of VIP tables right in front of those subwoofers. Yeah, How do yeah, you adjust uh, on something like that? Well, I mean, you know, one of the goose for a bar. <laughs> you just kind of say, okay, this, this, this is what's happening. Um, yeah, that that was a situation where I had set up a, 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 a nice distributed line of subwoofers um, and uh, in the front of the stage and really nice even coverage pattern i think it's like digitally steered you know so it's arced coverage pattern because the that particular show the uh the performance area is wider than it is long and so uh i needed a nice wide distribution um and uh and so anyway yeah they, they ended up a catering you know catering company where you know they ended up setting up tables and uh, and they were like, well, why are these speakers here? <laughs> you know, and my front fills were on top of the subs too. So it was like, now I have to put my, cause you know, I was like, the stage was really clean. You know, the front fills weren't on the stage they were on top of the sub stack. So, um, so now the front fills have to go up on the stage. So now there's, you know, speakers on the lip of the stage, uh, for a band that's all in ears, you know? So, um, they liked it that the stage was clean, but now it's not. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then, um, you know, we had already done sound check. So, uh, um, the front of house engineer had left, you know, and, and had approved of the system. And so when he got back, you know, before the show, now the sub, I had to move the subs to left and right. Um, and he's like, what happened? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, there's a, there's a VIP section there in there. It was a, it was a, like I said, catering truck. So it was a dinner. It was like a, you know, a dinner and a show sort of thing for the very front of the stage there. And, um, this particular event uh, takes place in Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, which is a sort of the the Gold Coast. So very wealthy people down there, uh, and um, you know, it's there's I was not going to win that argument. You know, there's there's no way that they were going to agree with me that the subwoofers need to stay there. And so, uh, um, you know, those people wanted to be as close to the stage as they could get. You know, they wanted to have you know they want they want that experience and they don't care about sound quality because if you want to watch a show from the front of the stage you don't care about sound quality um <laughs> which any engine sound engineer will will tell you um 
uh, you know, we can do our best to get this, the sound there to be uh, as close to what it is everywhere else in the main system. But, you know, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, you do your best. Um, so, yeah, you know, just move the subs. I, I uh, you know, rebalance them just because, uh, you know, with left, right, you know, you have the more summation in the middle. So I'm just one, you know, just rebalanced it. So it was as close to what it was during sound check and, you know, they're subs, they're in effect. So, right. uh, the mix engineer is gonna, gonna be fine working with them and he totally got it. And he's, we both had a laugh over it. <laughs> That's good. Um, so talking a little bit too about, um, system tuning and, uh, you know, people being there telling, you know, if you're sitting in the front row, you're not going to get the best sound quality. Do you find yourself making any adjustments for social media these days? I know a lot of uh, people take cell phone videos. And what's your take on the whole social media and impact on live sound? Um, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten over the years. I've become much more concerned with the front fill quality for sure. Um, you know, and uh, and that is something that I will fight for. Um, you know, the subwoofer placement stuff and yeah, whatever. But I, like, if if you know, a promoter says, well, we can't, you know, this, this front fills kind of making this sight line weird. I'll be like, well, that's, that's too bad, you know, because if it's not there, then it's not going to sound, it's not just not going to sound good. And, you know, as bands move more towards in-ears and stuff and their stage volume may only be the drum set, you know, so, um, it becomes really, uh, really important for me to, uh, to have good front fills to the point where I was actually considering a few years ago, I was considering buying my own front fill package. Um, to make sure that whatever I did, that we had a good package. Um, so I was going to buy, you know, basically four, four, uh, speakers in a, in a, in a four channel amp and just have, um, you know, have something I can guarantee good coverage in the front. Um, I ended up not needing to do that for various reasons and, and basically, you know, acquiring speakers, uh, without having to spend my own money. <laughs> That's always a good um, thing. Yeah. But that being said, uh, you know, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Rational Acoustics ended up, uh, getting a, uh, uh, PA system from EAW for our, for our home base. Cause we do, we do training at our headquarters and we needed a, a rig. Um, you know, we have a lot of friends at EAW and they're just down the road. And so, um, they, they gave us a sort of a permanent loan on, uh, on one of their PAs, the radius PA. So, um, we've got, you know, eight boxes of the eight, the dual eight inch radius RX, what is it, RX eight or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so when I have a show, I'll just say, Hey Jamie, do you mind if I borrow some, uh, some of those speakers and, you know, throw them in the back of my car. So I'll, you know, grab three or four radius speakers and, you know, basically guarantee that I can have a good front fill for whatever I'm doing. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, I was on tour with Stitch Up Heart last year and we got to a venue in Michigan and they didn't have any front fills for the stage, and they had a uh, older oh golly, I can't even remember the the rig, but like half of the mid high frequency drivers were toast in the main Oof. array. Yeah. And thankfully, the opening band uh, there they were you know uh, van and trailer, and they were used to carrying their own PA, and they brought out you know some powered speakers and threw them up. But it, if it had not been for those, that show would have been just really really truly awful so that's a that's a yeah. good suggestion yeah i mean you know like you said it's i hadn't you know, it's funny i never really put the connection 
you know, with social media and, and stuff like that being a good, the reason, you know, sort of just over the years, I just like just caring about system coverage is really what led me to that more than anything, just caring that we have a good, you know, even coverage. Um, but yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense that, you know, for, for, you know, people video recording and whatever that you'd want, you'd want that. It's so prevalent, you know, it's something that we're going to have to deal with. And I just wondered if it would play into some of the tuning, uh, aspects of it, but, um, yeah, the coverage in general is probably more important than what it sounds like on a cell phone. And if the coverage is good, then hopefully the cell phone picks up more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. we're, we're nearing the one hour mark here. Um, and I know, I know you've got a lot of things going on. So I just wanted to real quickly touch on your mixing philosophy. We talked a lot a bit about, uh, system tuning, but, um, you know, as, as mentioned, you're primarily a mix engineer, when you go to mix well, a show, well, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely flipped around. Yeah, these days. I get it. Uh, I may have misspoke slightly there, but what what are some of your uh, key philosophies or approaches towards mixing a show? Are you what are you doing in terms of you know your gain staging, um, your EQ? What what are you what do you see as sort of the most critical fundamentals in building your mix? Um, so uh, my favorite mix engineer is a guy named Eddie Map. Um, uh, so he, he mixes, uh, Evanescence, uh, but he's mixed Paramore and Stone Temple Pilots and Papa Roach and you know, a bunch of different bands. Um, but every time I see his shows, I'm just like, holy gee golly, you know, like he just, he just, you know, <laughs> his mixes are just incredible. Um, they're so clear and they're so natural sounding and that's what I love about them. Um, nothing sounds like uh, hyped in a weird, like forced way. Um, it's just like, yeah, that is exactly what a snare drum is supposed to sound like. It's like, yeah, those toms, that's exactly what the, what toms are supposed to sound like. And, and so I've taken a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, of his, you know, approach to things. Um, and, uh, and gone, you know, gone with that in my, my mixing, you know, making, you know, big tom sounds, um, you know, just really natural drum sounds. Um, uh, you know, and it's all about, it's, it's like, like I said, it's just all about being natural, you know? So I'm a guitar player. Uh, like I said before, uh, I have a really strong opinions about what a good guitar tone is. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to want to make sure those guitars sound like a guitar should sound, you know, I want to make sure everything sounds like it should sound. And, um, when you, th you know, when you think of mixing in general, um, and I, I think of this, it's the way I approach system tuning and mixing. It's um, having an idea in your head of what the final product is going to be. Um, so, you know, when I tune a system, I already know where I'm going. It's just a matter of, you know, just take, making the decisions along the way to get there. Um, you know, and with mixing, it's like, you know, depending on the band, it's like, I know, I know what it's going to sound like. It's just now I'm just going to figure out how to get there. And so, you know, the better the talent is, the better the instruments are, you know, the easier it is to get there. Um, you know, so I'm fortunate that a lot of the stuff I do now is, uh, like a fly in show where like a band, you know, up and coming country band, for example, in Nashville is going to fly up do a uh, fair, uh, over here. Uh, all the back lines all rented in. Um, it's all good, fresh drum heads, you know, tuned up well with really hot players. And so you can really get a nice natural mix. Um, you know, and you're not, you're not, uh, 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 you're not 
you know, trying to polish something that shouldn't be polished. <laughs> um, something you know, a little it, softer. Yeah. Um, you know, and as far as like game structure and all that, like, um, the company I do the most work for is, a uh, they use profiles. So I'm most comfortable on a profile platform and then probably Yamaha and then Midas, um, just my exposure. Um, and so the profile and specifically the 48 SE 48 platform is the one that I've done the most shows on. Um, you know, if someone asked me to, for, for a console, that's, that's the one I'll ask just cause it's, it's, I, you know, it's capable and, uh, I know exactly how to get the reverbs on it to sound right. I know, you know, how, where the sweet spot is without, you know, the compression and all that stuff. And, and, um, and so, um, pretty simple. Like I don't do, I don't do too much crazy, you know, parallel bussing or anything like that just because I never get to work with the same band for, you know, more than a one-off or maybe once every other year or something, you know? So, um, I don't get the time to really experiment, you know, it's more of a festival style patch. Um, you know, I'll put, you know, the appropriate instruments on VCAs and my VCAs are usually, you know, kick snare hat, um, you know, bass, guitar, keys, background vocals, lead vocals, and then vocal effects. Um, I think that's eight. I'm not sure if I, that's pretty close. Yeah. If not, it's pretty close. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that, that's, that's the, uh, those are the things that are, you know, grouped to ride and, um, and, uh, you know, just again, just going for natural sounds. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we are just at an hour, like I said, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, talk and share your thoughts and experiences with everybody. If people want to follow you online, is there any place that they can go to find you? Uh, and is there anything that you want to uh, promote or mention that people might want to check out? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I, I really only use Facebook for social media. You're welcome to look me up and follow me. Um, you'll see a lot of, uh, funny things and baby spam. So, uh, <laughs> um, and, and then I'll plug, um, Jamie and Ivan, uh, and Michael Lawrence as well. We've been working really hard on getting a lot of, uh, content available online. Uh, so there's the, uh, the webinar series, uh, Smart Operator Fundamentals Online. Uh, it's about 12 parts, or it will be by the time you release all this. Yep. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, just take advantage of the downtime and learn. You know, if you, come out of, uh, if you come out of this quarantine, you know, and you haven't learned anything in your downtime uh, to better yourself when it's all over, then you're really not taking advantage of this time wisely. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right, Chris, we'll put links to your uh, Facebook profile and the uh, Smart Operator Fundamentals courses on the show notes. So uh, check those out there. Uh, follow Chris. He really does post a lot of really good information um, online, so it's it's worth the time to follow him. All right, Thanks, sir. Man. Yeah, thank you. Um, right. Really had a great time. Thank you for being on the podcast, and um, I'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll see you down the road. Take All care. Right. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. 
Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 